Well, it's fall break, isn't it? But I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Wonderful. It's a great, uh, great morning for us to bring this habits series to a close and to look at the habit of risk. Jack Welsh took over uh, the CEO of General Electric, and, and uh, one of the great stories that, that comes out of that is, is some, some risk-taking, uh, a, a change in the culture and the environment of the company to take more risks. One of his executives took a risk that cost the company a million dollars. And he was called in to sit down with Jack and uh, was expecting, the executive was expecting to be canned, you know, that this would be his last day. And he sat down very contrite and he said, uh, well, I, I figure I'm coming in and to be fired. And Jack said to him, I'm not going to fire you. I've got a million dollars in your education. <laughs> A lot of times we think that, that failure is something that we need to avoid. I like, uh, I like uh, the, the idea that you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. <laughs> sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. We're going to take a look at, at, at risk today because there's some growth in the Christian life that can only happen on the other side of risk. There's some growth that can only happen on the other side of risk because, some, because all growth takes place on the foundation of, of greater trust, greater, deeper, wider trust. And so risk yields greater trust. If you want to grow more in your life, it's going to happen on the other side of risk. I think of that, uh, that great... Uh, series, Indiana Jones series. I love that Indiana Jones series and the last one, The Last Crusade, right? The Last Crusade. That, that scene where Indiana is following the, the, the authority of, uh, of a voice outside of him. He's following the directions and part of the direction, in order to get to, to find the, the, uh, the, the cup, the, the cup of Christ, right? And there's that scene where there's a bridge, but he can't see it. If you haven't seen this movie, especially if you're, 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 you're younger, you gotta, you gotta go watch this movie. Great movie. Uh, and, and, and he can't see this bridge, and he takes this step, and all of a sudden, the bridge appears. He steps out, in faith and trust. He takes the risk of faith and trust, and the bridge is there. It's just, it's always stood for me as this vivid picture of what, it, what it's like to trust God in, in, a, in a real way, like a here and now way, not just a there and then way. And why do I bring all this up? Because we're about to look at a scene in Scripture where Jesus walks on water, and so does Peter. Now, it's one thing for Jesus to walk on water. He's, he's God in human flesh. But here comes Peter walking on water. And you think, you think to yourself, now, did this really happen? 
right? Now, we're in church, and we're supposed to believe it. it. It actually happened, right? Because in church, we believe it happened. But I'm talking about out in your workplace, around your dinner table, this morning, tonight, tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Did it actually happen? Did it actually happen? Let's look at three options before we read the scripture. First, first, uh, first is, there, there, are two, there are two options. There are three options. First two are avoidance of the question. The, the way that some people look at, at, at this scripture is through eyes of mysticism, through a, a lens of mysticism. It's kind of a safe way to looking at it. It's, it's, it's like saying, this is a legend. This is a great story. It probably grew over time, even though these things were written really within a generation. And you know, there's no time for legends to grow. Legends grow over centuries, right? But the scriptures, you know, the date back, you know, P46 is one, one of the earliest manuscripts that we have, and it dates back to in, the, in just 50 AD, 58 AD. And so it, 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 there's this movement and has been throughout different uh, segments and, and, and cultures after, after Christ in the last 2,000 years where, where people sort of resort to mysticism when they look at something that can't happen, right? Like walking on water. How do we deal with this story? It's embarrassing, right? Well, some people resort to mysticism. It's just a legend, and, and there's spiritual meaning in it, right? There's spiritual. And so we spiritualize around it. And we think, this is a great tale, a great legend, and isn't it cool and fun? And, then, and, and, and we as adults can continue to benefit from it because we spiritualize it. It has sort of symbolic meaning, but it didn't actually happen. Mysticism. The other thing that we resort to is rationalism. Two, two, two extremes. You know, mysticism on one side, on the other side is rationalism. Rationalism is the idea that there's some natural explanation for this. And you know, the redactors of, of these different texts, maybe they, they tweaked it and they misunderstood. And, and so you know, something like the Jesus Seminar comes up and they, they, they vote with stones. This actually happened about 50 years ago. The idea of, did this really happen? Did this not really happen? And scholars came together and they had like, like poker chips. You know, they're sort of anteing up whether or not they actually thought this happened. And so we, 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 we begin to, to feel better about the text because uh, of our ability to be rational. And here's the problem with both of these different ways that we resort. It avoids the authority of the Word of God in your life on a personal level. And you know what? That's exactly why we do it. It's not because we're smarter. You know... <laughs> People bristled at this. Anybody who wasn't there, even Peter being there, he doubted the power of God in the moment. And so if you weren't there and it was 100 years later or 200 years later, before, you know, whether you're a medieval or, or, or modern person, we all have doubts about extraordinary things. But the reason, the reason, I have found time and time again is not rational, it's personal. It's personal. When Indiana Jones is stepping out onto that cliff, it's very personal because he could die, right? When you're stepping out of whatever boat you need to step out, it's personal. 
And so let's take a look at risk today. In personal terms, the way that God calls us to deeper, greater trust. Because there are some ways that we can grow only on the other side of risk. Let's not explain it away with mysticism, spiritualize it. Let's not, let's not try to rationalize it. But let's put ourselves in a place where we have to lay down our pride and we have to once again submit to an authority, an authority, an authority outside of us. From God's word, Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Now, note that. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, in the fourth watch, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him, Walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless us today through the reading of this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father, bless this word now in us as we reflect upon it, that we would not only understand it, but that we would walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Every one of us has a temptation to make life work for us apart from God. Every one of us faces temptations to make life work for us apart from God. Maybe in business, there's something that's working for you, and you know it's not right. But if you were to change it, it would mess up your bottom line in a big way. And you would wonder, how am I going to meet my commitments? And there you are, standing on the edge with Indiana Jones, looking for a bridge that doesn't seem to exist. Every one of us faces the temptation to make life work for us apart from God. Maybe it's just even more personal and more up, up close and personal. Maybe there's a relationship where... You just are, you're hiding, you're ducking, you're dodging. You're not really honest, you're not really open. Whether it's to please people, whether it's just a general avoidance of conflict and you're afraid, or whether or not you just don't trust the other person or what's going to happen if you're open, more open and more honest 
Maybe you're ashamed and you have not really dealt with your past very well. And, and so you, you just let people in a little bit. Every one of us faces the temptation to make life work for us apart from God. And so this morning, as we reflect back upon this passage, I want to think about two boats that you might have to step out of. Two boats you may be called. One, one of these two boats, every one of us probably needs to climb out of. A boat of comfort and the boat of security. These are two boats where we, we, we try to make life work for us just on our own terms. But there are some ways that we can only grow, some things we can only achieve in life. We can only take things to the next level or become more of what we believe we're supposed to be or dream we could be on the other side of trust, on the other side of risk. And so let's take a look at a couple of different boats. The boat of comfort and the boat of security. First, the boat of comfort. The boat of comfort, stepping out of that boat, it brings the, the prospect that we can actually experience trust by experiencing risk. You can't intellectualize it. Can't rationalize it. You have to actually experience it. I love that. Have, have you seen that, uh, that little YouTube video where the girl, two girls are doing the trust fall? And they're just standing in their living room. And, and, the, and the girls stand right here and they're trying to explain. The one girl, the one sister is trying to explain to the other sister. Now, you just, you just fall and I'll catch you. And she steps behind the girl and she says, okay, now close your eyes and on three, um, fall. And, and, and she says, one two, three, and she falls forward. <laughs> Have you seen that? It's hysterical. Anyway, I'm sure she was fine. She put ice on it, and she was just fine. But the experience of a trust, have you ever done a trust fall? Have you ever been in, in one of those uh, rope, low, low rope situations where you're called, you're the one called to get up on that post or to stand up on that platform and, and, and actually fall back and trust all the people that are they're, they're going to catch you. And maybe you're one of the catchers, right? And you're saying, oh, come on, let's do it. Just, just do it, just do it. Or, or you think of like the pamper pole um, up in, at Windy Gap or at one of those Young Life camps where you have to climb up all the way to the top. And I remember I've, I've done this several times, but last time I, 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 I was there, I was watching my, my daughter do it, and I was like, come on, just jump. What's the matter with you? And then I get up there myself, and I'm going, oh, man, this is not what I remember. This is harder, you know? Sometimes the older you get, the harder it is to take those leaps of risk. And you're supposed to jump out and hit the bell or whatever. There's nothing like experiencing it. It's different being the catcher, thinking about it, understanding what the whole exercise is about. It's like, oh gosh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, great. We're going to do some low ropes thing. How cliche. Terrific. Then, then you're the one who has to fall back. And it's completely different, isn't it? There's nothing like experiencing it yourself. 
You know, I love the fact that Peter is called the rock, because when I think of Peter as the rock, he really demonstrates it in this passage by sinking, right? <laughs> he sinks like a rock. But here's, here's Jesus trying to, to grow Peter into this foundation stone for the church. Somebody who has, at square one, experienced the trust that's required for true life change. To take the actual risks required to deepen his trust, to move from being Simon to becoming the rock, right? Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Are you becoming a rock for your family, for your business, for your friendships? Are you someone whose faith and trust is, is something that people can't figure out because of the ways that you have life wired, right? That there is a, there's something different about you. There's something deeply content and trusting about you because you've been the one on the pole You've been the one on the platform experiencing life outside the boat, life outside our comfort zone. It's risky. When I, when I was thinking about Peter and his experience here, it made me think of this, one of my favorite little passages from C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Peter's eye is on Jesus as he steps out of the boat. He's trusting. He's taking the risk. And then he begins to shift. He begins to turn his eye back to himself. You've heard this probably before, that his eye is on Jesus and, and then his eye is, is, is on the self. But let's, let's consider, how does that actually work? When you think of C.S. Lewis's passage, we, each one of us, is tempted to make life work for us apart from God. You've already thought about it this morning. There are certain specific ways that you're making life work for you apart from God. I think of, I'll just tease out one uh, example from everyday life. The parent-child relationship. I tell kids, hey, teenager, if you want more freedom and you want to grow and you want your parents to trust you to grow, you've got to be the one to, to trust too. So you, you need to tell them about that situation with your friends and trust that they're not going to put you on lockdown mode and, and, and no longer let you play with them or go out with them or, or go to that party. 
the more that you trust them and let them into your life, the more that they see that you're growing and, and that you're taking the risk and that you're reciprocating, you're being open enough to be able to, to be trusted and trustworthy. It's a risk. They might shut you down. <laughs> but it's a risk worth taking. Some growth can only happen on the other side of risk. But we are tempted to just simply maintain and, and stay in our comfort zone, stay in the boat, make life work for us apart from God. And we wonder then, where is God? Why does he seem far off? Why am I not growing? Why am I still so stuck in my same old pattern? And Jesus says, why did you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. It's a matter of trusting an authority, a voice outside of us. That's where the risk is because it is an extraordinary voice. It is an, a voice of revelation. It's a voice that requires trust. You think, well, why, doesn't, why doesn't God come and, and let me try to walk on water? We'll see how it worked for Peter. Do you see how it worked for Peter? I mean, I think this is in, in the New Testament just, just to confront us with the fact that we do, we want everything on our own terms, even the way that God tries to reveal himself to us. And we say, well, why don't I get to be Peter? Why don't I get to see Jesus walk on water? Why don't I get to be the one who walks on water? And you say, well, look how it worked for Peter. Even in the moment, Peter doubts. Why? Again and again and again, we come back to the authority of ourselves. Our eyes shift back to ourselves. Our authority is in our own experience. And God is saying, I want you to experience life with me of trust. And so we have to step out of our comfort. The second way that we're called to step out, to risk and to experience the growth that can only happen on the other side of risk, is to step out of the boat of security, the boat of comfort, the boat of security. And to step out of the boat of security is indeed to risk failure. That's right, failure. We don't even like to say that word, right? We don't like to think about failure, failing at things. But there are some things that can only be experienced on the other side of risking even failure. DT and I were talking a, a few days ago about, uh, about school lunches and how uh, kids are supposed to be, some, sometimes they're supposed to be trusted to make their own lunch, right? And I remember uh, it, it reminded me when, I was, when, when our kids were younger and uh, Beth was teaching them to remember to get up in time and, and get into their routine and to make their lunch. And so there needed to be real consequences if they didn't do this, right? Because if they're not real consequences... Uh, then they'll, they'll think that, that somebody else is going to catch them, right? And so we discovered you know, th th that, that when our kids did not make their lunch, that there were teachers that would help them figure that out <laughs> by providing lunch for them. They would give them money or they would, they would, uh, they would give them like credit or uh, they would share their own lunch with them instead of letting them experience failure. 
And so we were trying to figure out, well, now why is it that this isn't working? And we, we had to go to the school and tell them, when our kids don't show up for lunch, it's not that we don't love them. It's not that we're bad parents. We want them <laughs> to experience failure. We want them to learn at this age that they have to be responsible. And if they don't fail, they won't learn. And they said, oh, okay, we're with you now. We just thought that y'all were bad parents. <laughs> Jesus puts them out to sea on purpose. Did you notice that? Sometimes I'll pause when I'm reading because I want you to notice stuff. Don't pass by this. Jesus has been with the crowds. He dismisses the crowds. He's trying to get some rest. He's trying to get some time just by himself. And he sends the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. They're supposed to go across to the other side. And he sends them away without him, right? Physically present. Now, that's, that's us. That's where we are. We don't, we don't experience the physical presence of Jesus. He puts us in that situation. Why? Because what's paramount to our growth and to our understanding and to connecting with God again is trust. And so he sends them out to see, do you think he brought the waves and the wind? Yes, yourself. Did, did God bring this difficult situation on purpose? I mean, isn't God supposed to be, isn't my trusting God and my faith in God, doesn't that like make storms go away? Well, in this case, Jesus brings the storm on purpose. He brings the wind and the waves on purpose. He makes the storm happen to put them in the position where they could fail apart from trusting God. Why? Because they need to learn. Through the potential failure, the natural consequences of not trusting him, that their life ultimately rests upon this question. Do I really trust that God has my life? Do I really trust him? Not, not you know, far off there, mystically, right? Back to this, the beginning of the sermon. Not, not just sort of disconnected mysticism that, that'll happen, pie in the sky, by and by. In the moment, right? Not just that, that God is going to, and, and here's the rationalism side of things, not just that God is going to work things out through circumstances or, or through the medicine that I take or, or through, through things changing, but, but that God is going to intervene, that, that he actually can show up in your moment, that even if he doesn't, that he has you, he's got you. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that's ultimately what your storm is all about. But we're afraid of failure. And so we miss the lessons because we avoid failure or we smooth it over or we ignore it or we do anything we can to avoid failure. Edison, a famous... Uh, I, I, I had to do the whole Snopes thing to see whether or not... These days I don't trust anything that I read, you know. But this, I, I, I understand, actually happened. That, that, uh, that someone was con commiserating with Edison that 700 times he failed to make the light bulb. And someone was commiserating with him. And along the way, this is before he, 
he, he invented the incandescent light bulb. And, and someone was saying, I'm sorry, you're having such a hard time. He said, I haven't failed 700 times. I've found 700 ways that won't work. Truman, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Metaxas, Eric Metaxas, summing, summing up uh, a chapter in Bonhoeffer's life, says that the Christian life isn't so much about uh, cautiously avoiding sin, but stepping boldly into the will of God. Does your life feel like that? Are you experiencing that kind of trust? Is there a stronghold where you're making life work for you apart from him? It's a confrontational kind of passage this morning about what boat that you're safely harboring in. Whether it's the boat of comfort or the boat of security. Whether you're, 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 you're sitting there and afraid to experience that greater sense of trust or you're sitting there in that boat afraid to fail. This morning I want to give you an opportunity to come forward. And it, you know, this is a risk. You know, people might actually see you get out of your seat and come forward and, and pray with, with DT or with me. And we're going to be standing over here and over here. And we just want to, if, if nobody comes, that's fine. Uh, but this morning, I, I'm, I'm guessing that there might be a handful of you who who just want to mark the moment, who want to step up with some courage and say, Lord, in, in the context, in the space and time of worship, we want to declare that we're going to trust you. I want to declare that with this thing in particular that's been, that's been nagging at me throughout this sermon, I want to take a step of trust. Let these next moments for you, just a simple prayer, just a, a confession, however much you want to share is fine, and we'll pray together. Let that be your first step out of the boat. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we uh, come before you this morning, as we, as we create this time and space for deeper trust, would you meet us here? right in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name.